Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me over here on the dark side. I'm your host, Sherry. Today, we're talking about a 33 year old man who died in 2019. The circumstances around his death are questionable, and his family is determined to find the answers and receive justice for Brandon. Let's get right into it. My sources are in the description area. This is episode 98 The Case of Brandon Embry. This story takes place in 2019. Donald Trump was the fourth U.S. president in history to be impeached. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle became parents to their first child, a son named Archie. China's lunar rover landed on the dark side of the moon. We've only ever seen pictures and video of the side facing the Earth until then. China went over to the other side. Game of Thrones aired its series finale. Joaquin Phoenix played the Joker and it was amazing. Rami Malik won Best Actor for his portrayal of Freddie Mercury in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. And lastly, NASA released its first image of a black hole. We all wondered what an image of a black hole looked like, and that's just what it looked like, a giant black hole. Brandon Embry was born September 7, 1986, in Louisville, Kentucky. Brandon grew up in a military family and was moving all over the States and even Italy as a child. He has a brother named Scott and a sister named Rachel. His stepdad's name is Reg, and his mother's name is Sarah. You'll hear me talk about mom Sarah quite a bit in this story. Everyone says Brandon was a great guy. He had the nickname Webster when he was a child because he was smart and like a dictionary. He won spelling bees in school. He always got good grades. Brandon played football all the way up through high school and was also a power lifter. Brandon graduated high school and enlisted in the Navy as a nuclear machinist mate, petty officer, second class. He would be honorably discharged due to a back injury and PTSD. Once discharged, he went back to college and worked on his associate's degree in bioengineering and chemical engineering. 
At the time of this story, he was taking a break, but had plans to eventually finish and become a pharmacist. Really smart dude at 33 years old. Brandon has no children and no spouse. He does use a lot of dating apps, though. His family say he was introverted and loved just sitting around with a book. He was also a good listener and an all-around great guy. He had gotten into Viking culture, and he loved heavy metal music. In 2018, Brandon moved from Washington to Asheboro, North Carolina, where he could be near his family. Plus, the housing in North Carolina is much cheaper than living in Seattle. He was paying a fortune for an apartment in Seattle, so this seemed like a good move to leave. Plus, he could be near the rest of his family since he was all alone in Seattle. He just packed everything up into a rental truck, and he towed his Camaro behind it, and he drove all the way across the country. Now, Brandon had moved out of his parents' house when he was 18, so for the first time in 14 years, he's going to be moving back in with his mom. This isn't permanent, but just until he finds a place to live. He did end up getting his own apartment in Asheboro, North Carolina, and lands a job at a welding company. He ended up taking a different, higher-paying job, which where he was commuting back and forth to Texas. He would work two weeks in Texas and then come back home to North Carolina for two weeks and then alternate. He changes jobs again and begins working for a company repairing robotics. This job involved a lot of traveling as well. On September 5th, 2019, he returns from his work trip up north and his mom, Sarah, picked him up from the airport. The next day, which is September 6, 2019, Brandon goes to his mom's house to dog sit. Sarah had to drive to Kentucky to pick her daughter up, so Brandon stays at his mom's and watches her dog for her. The next day is Brandon's 33rd birthday. Sarah is heading back from Kentucky with her daughter Rachel, and she called Brandon to wish him a happy birthday. He said he had plans to meet a date for dinner, but then he tells his dad that the girl ended up canceling on him. Over the next couple days, Sarah received a few texts from her son. On Tuesday, September 10th, this is three days since she actually spoke to him, she receives a text from Brandon at 6.30 a.m. I don't know the contents of the message, but it was unusual for Brandon to text that early. He doesn't get up early in the early morning hours, ever. We will learn later on that Brandon's card was used at an adult sex store that morning. There isn't any surveillance video from inside the store, but we know that a sex toy was purchased. But it wasn't the kind of sex toy Brandon would use unless he was buying it for someone else. It was a female sex toy. Sarah tries calling at 8 o'clock p.m. and again at 10 p.m. and he doesn't answer. One thing Brandon always does is if he misses your call, he'll always call you right back, like within minutes. So Sarah found it strange that he wasn't returning her call. The next day, which is Wednesday, September 11th, Sarah tries calling again at 3.30 p.m. but doesn't get an answer or a call back. She finally decides she's had enough and wants to drive over to his apartment to check on him if he doesn't call back by tomorrow. It was also on this day that a FedEx driver attempted to deliver a package to Brandon that he was expecting and he needed to sign for it, but the driver said no one came to the door. The next day, Sarah and her daughter Rachel get in the car and head over to Brandon's apartment. This isn't a far drive at all. They see his truck is out front in a parking spot, so something's definitely wrong now. Sarah decides to call 911. She tries to open the door, but it's locked. She walked around to the back side of the apartment and saw a window was broken. 
the outside pane was damaged and the screen was bent. She called the apartment management company so they could send someone from maintenance out with a key to get in the apartment. When the Ashboro police officers arrive, Sarah frantically tells them she last spoke to her son three days ago. He's not answering calls, his window's broken, his truck's here, he's not answering the door. Ashboro police officers tell Sarah and Rachel to wait outside while they head in to see if Brandon's in there. Best case scenario is that they're going to go inside and Brandon's not in there. He's gone off with a friend and lost his phone and it's all just a big misunderstanding. But that scenario didn't happen. Instead, they enter and find Brandon laying on his bedroom floor. He's completely nude. There's water running everywhere due to a pipe in the bathroom leaking. Plus, his bathtub is running and it's overflowing. Brandon surprisingly has a pulse. He's unconscious, but he's still alive. However, he is in bad shape. He looks like he's been beaten really badly. He's got bruising and cuts, two black eyes. He has major injuries, but they'll deal with that later. For now, he just needs to get to a hospital quickly because he's in critical condition. Unfortunately, the doctor comes out of the waiting room and tells Brandon's mom and sister that he likely won't make it. The nurses and doctors all feel that these injuries came from someone attacking him. It's just so much. Brandon is on life support until 8.57 p.m. when he was pronounced dead. September 13, 2019. He was 33 years old. I want to go back to Brandon's injuries and then I'll get into the condition of his apartment. There are photos of Brandon's injuries online and I encourage you to look at them if you're okay with seeing that kind of thing. Most places I've seen them online say they were published with permission from his mother, Sarah. I think back to the Kendrick Johnson case when his parents wanted his death photos spread around as well because they want you to see what they're talking about. They want you to be outraged and fight for justice. These photos are graphic, obviously. Brandon is almost unrecognizable. You can tell he's a man with red hair and a red beard and lots of tattoos, but that's it. He's got injuries all over his body. There's dried blood all over his face. The back of his head has a contusion that's bleeding pretty badly. To me, it looks like he was beaten with a baseball bat or some other kind of object. But he has large bruising all over his legs and other areas of his body. This doesn't look like a regular fight. I'm not an expert, but I've viewed thousands of crime scene photos over the years, and these ones definitely remind me of ones where someone was hit by a truck or thrown off a building. With the condition of his apartment, everyone is even more convinced that something bad happened there. I'm going to break my rule of no banner just for one minute. My favorite TV show of all time is Dexter. It aired from 2006 until 2013. I was so sad when it was over that I almost cried. So I began rewatching it after 11 years, and I'll be sad all over again once it's over for the second time for me. Dexter is a blood splatter analyst for Miami Metro Homicide. He also has this little side gig as a serial killer. But anyway, I kept thinking while researching this case that if Dexter Morgan were to walk inside this apartment, he would be able to explain what happened here. He's the very best when it comes to blood splatter, and no one else can say beyond a shadow of a doubt what happened. We definitely need Dexter Morgan to do the forensics here. When I say it looked like a tornado came through the apartment, I mean just that. There is so much stuff everywhere. You can't walk one foot without stepping on something. You can view those photos as well. Now, Brandon was known to be messy. He's a single dude who travels and lives alone. But this is beyond that. 
Besides, there's blood all over the place, which lets us know it wasn't just him not picking up soda cans or whatever. A huge event took place in this apartment. I'll start with the bathroom. So the toilet seat was ripped off along with the cover of the tank. It looked like someone tried to pull the toilet out of the floor. The toilet was filled with toilet paper. Everything is wet, just water everywhere. The holders for the towels and the toilet paper rolls were ripped out of the wall. The water was running into the bathtub and overflowing into the ground. The shower curtain had been ripped from the rod and the rod was found in his bedroom. The sink was filled with stuff that it came out of the medicine cabinet above and the mirror in the bathroom was broken. Inside Brandon's bedroom, they find the door has been ripped off of its hinges. There's blood everywhere and the room looks like a disaster. The sheets were ripped off the mat mattress they find his wallet under his bed containing $100, and they also found uncashed paychecks. They find a pillow covered in blood. The shower curtain and rod was found in the bedroom. His nightstand was flipped over. There's a pizza box wedged between the bed and the wall. There's sex toys and restraints and piles of stuff along with gaming consoles. There's also a green liquid-type substance near Brandon. I saw one of the photos that was taken of the floor underneath Brandon's head, and it was just a lot of blood. Brandon's suitcase was sitting in the living room. It still had the tags from the airport attached, and it had been opened. There's a ton of stuff scattered all over the living room, just like the bedroom. Now, the Ashboro police found a lot of hypodermic needles in Brandon's apartment. One officer even saying it looks like he took a bunch of meth and just went crazy. But Sarah says no, her son was not a drug addict. Yes, these are hypodermic needles, but the reason is because Brandon has low testosterone levels. He has to inject himself with hormones, and he also takes steroids. So there is a valid legal reason for why he has all this alleged drug paraphernalia. Brandon was known to log his supplements and food intake. He was in good health, and anytime Brandon didn't feel well, he always went to the doctor. He wasn't a hypochondriac, but he did go get checked out often. According to Murder, She Told, Brandon's apartment had piles of stuff everywhere, but valuable possessions were mixed in with garbage. It didn't make a lot of sense. Sarah was the one who found dark, bloody black hairs stuck to the wall. Some spots look like whoever was inside was attempting to clean up. There was some cleaner and Walmart brand bleach, and the hallway looked like it had been wiped down in areas. It's just so bizarre. Brandon's family and the Ashboro Police Department are awaiting the autopsy results. This will hopefully shed some light onto what happened here. Instead, it just confuses things. The autopsy report stated he died of natural causes. Specifically, he had pneumonia. According to the CDC, only 5 to 10% of folks die who have a bout of pneumonia. Brandon had a deep Y-shaped cut to his eyebrow. He had cuts on the bridge of his nose and around his face, bruising on his lips, two black eyes. These black eyes were bad, like deep purple bruising. Black eyes don't always come from getting hit in the eye. They can also come from a skull fracture. Brandon had a deep impact contusion on the side of his head. He had scratches all over his back. A detective assigned to the case said Brandon had contusions on his back, which were consistent with being struck with a hard object, such as a metal rod or a baseball bat. The autopsy showed that he was hit so hard that it bruised his left lung. However, 
The medical examiner claims none of these injuries contributed to his death. It was solely from pneumonia and that he also had moderate liver disease. Yes, he had injuries, but most were superficial and not fatal, according to the medical examiner. His legs were purple from bruising. They look like one giant bruise from the middle of his thighs to below his knees. He was also found to have two bruises on his penis. The police believe that he went on a meth-fueled rage and destroyed his apartment and all of these injuries were self-inflicted. But the autopsy showed that Brandon had no drugs in his system. The only substance in his system was Benadryl. It was easy to say that he was a drug user when they saw the hypodermic needles in the, in the apartment. But again, Brandon was using testosterone due to his deficiency. I think Brandon was stereotyped right from the beginning. He's covered in tattoos with a long beard. They saw all these sex toys. There's nothing wrong with having sex toys in your house, by the way. They saw the toilet was dislodged from the wall and assumed it was Brandon that had done it. He was six foot tall and 300 pounds. He's a strong guy. I don't see someone dying of pneumonia having a psychotic snap like that. I'm not saying it's impossible. I know someone will say, you know, my cousin's nephew's girlfriend got pneumonia and went crazy. But generally, someone dying of pneumonia isn't ransacking their house and beating themselves up. If the police arrived and Brandon was uninjured and his apartment was in normal conditions, he was curled up on the couch with a blanket or tucked in bed, the pneumonia theory would be more believable. A search warrant was granted for Brandon's truck parked outside. It's a big 2016 Chevy Silverado. The truck was unlocked, but his mom says Brandon would never leave his truck unlocked. Inside the truck, they find a mess, lots of trash, and they find blood, like a good bit of it, driver's side, passenger side, even on the gas and brake pedals. What's eerie to me is that remember there was Walmart brand bleach found inside next to where someone tried to clean up? Well, the safety seal for that container was found inside Brandon's truck on the passenger floorboard. There wasn't a blood trail leading from the truck to the inside of the apartment, though. Sarah can tell from the start that police are treating this case as if Brandon did all of this to himself, but she's determined to get to the bottom of it. So Sarah, who is not a forensic a forensics expert or part of law enforcement, begins her own investigation. She photographs Brandon's apartment. She goes through every detail of the autopsy report, even noting injuries on the drawing where the medical examiner hadn't included. I really feel for this woman. She should not be having to do all of this. My father was struck on his bicycle back in 2009 and died from his injuries. And still to this day, I cannot read the autopsy report. I saw the photos from the scene and that was hard enough. I read part of the police report and had to stop. I read autopsy reports all the time during case research, but I just won't view my dad's. My dad was a wonderful man who raised me alone and he has missed every day. What I'm getting at is I had people do this work for me. There was a detective, there were witnesses, there was police officers and a medical examiner and all kinds of support. If I had to do it on my own, I don't think I'd be very good because I would be too emotional. Sarah has to do this for her son. She has to view all this horrible shit and do her own investigation with zero training. If something were to happen to you, Sarah is someone you'd want to advocate for you. She has to put her son's death ahead of her own life, and she is determined to get to the bottom of this. And if someone is responsible, she wants them held accountable. 
On September 18, 2019, this is five days since Brandon died, Sarah's investigation is going to take a turn with the entrance of Cassandra. Brandon had been on these dating apps and meeting women, well, back in early 2019, which is seven or eight months before Brandon died, he began dating a woman named Cassandra. He didn't really talk about her except to his sister, and they, he even said they probably won't even last because she was leaving soon to go back to Russia. Spoiler alert, Cassandra is not from Russia. This was just one of the many lies she told. She also claimed she had multiple sclerosis. So on September 18th, 2019, Brandon's brother's wife receives a Facebook message from a woman named Cassandra. I think she thought that the woman she messaged was Brandon's sister, since her last name would be Embry, since she's married to Brandon's brother. The message reads, Hey, I know you don't know me at all, but you're Brandon Wesley Embry's sister, and I was your brother's girlfriend from mid-May until his passing. I met him on a dating app called Hinge. He sent me a text with a crying emoji on Tuesday the 10th, and I haven't heard from him since, and I've been a worried mess since then. He never told me your mom's name, but that he had a sister that was in Kentucky. I found out the hard way yesterday when I went by his apartment at Park Place in Ashboro on South Church Street yesterday evening, and some woman told me he had died. I hope you know how wonderful of a man he was and that I thought the world of him. She also asks if she could have some of Brandon's things, like a sweatshirt, and if she could get some of her belongings out of the apartment. Brandon's sister-in-law immediately contacts Sarah and sends her the message that she received. Sarah reached out to Cassandra but didn't hear anything back from her for a week. Sarah will spend the next 10 months, air quotes, befriending Cassandra and getting to know all about her. According to a lengthy write-up Sarah did on Reddit, she says that she contacted the police and says, hey, there's this girl who reached out to us claiming she was Brandon's girlfriend. You may want to talk to her. Cassandra said she had no idea that Brandon had died. He wasn't answering her calls or texts, so she drove over to his apartment and banged on the door. She says a neighbor comes over and says he passed away the other day. Cassandra tells Sarah that she is so upset, upset that she begins screaming and yelling she tells the neighbor lady that she better not be lying to her. She says that she was close to fainting and she had to use her cane for support. Remember, she claims she has MS. Sarah goes over and speaks to the same neighbor. She asks about her interaction with Cassandra. The neighbor tells her that she saw Cassandra knocking on the door and explained that he had passed away a couple days ago. She said, Cassandra said, okay, thank you, and reaches out to shake her hand. She got in her car and made a phone call. She also wasn't using a cane. We also learned during this time that a few days before Brandon's death, he had a loud argument with a male neighbor with black hair. Sarah keeps being friendly to Cassandra because she wants Cassandra to maybe slip up or something. She doesn't want her to go away. They communicate through Facebook Messenger almost daily. Sarah learns quickly that Cassandra is a pathological liar. She says that she is moving back to Russia soon. She also says she is a convicted felon. She says she's a nurse at the Department of Corrections. However, there's no evidence that Cassandra even works. Cassandra had a lot of inappropriate questions. Not that they would necessarily make her guilty of anything, but they were just strange. She would ask Sarah things like, do you miss him? Are you sad? Things you shouldn't say to a grieving parent. 
How Sarah manages to keep her composure is beyond me. She recorded a lot of these phone conversations and showed police, but they weren't super concerned. On November 14, 2019, this is two months since Brandon died. Sarah and Cassandra agreed to meet in person. They are going to meet at the mall and have lunch. Sarah needs more info to go to the police with. Sarah says Cassandra was very odd. She's visibly shaking. They walk into Chick-fil-A and she blurts out, I'm going to jail. She doesn't say anything else about that. Cassandra tells Sarah once her and Brandon went to Walmart and hadn't gotten charged for one of their items, which was a blender, and they realized it once they left. She said it was like getting away with murder, which was a really weird choice of words. Keep in mind, Brandon never told his family anything about Cassandra except his sister, and all he said was he was seeing some girl and it likely wouldn't work out because she's moving back to Russia. It didn't seem like it was a big deal to him. Sarah asked everyone in her family, did any of you ever hear Brandon mention a girl named Cassandra? They all said no. But Cassandra tells Sarah that her and Brandon were soulmates, and she was once even pregnant with his child, but they had a miscarriage. She even pulled out an ultrasound photo. She says Brandon and her were getting ready to open a joint bank account, so she should be the beneficiary of all the money he has in his checking account. Sarah requests to see Cassandra's phone because she wants to see the last few texts that she had with Brandon. And Sarah grabs her phone and takes pictures of them. They appear like she is just staging the text, so if anyone saw them, she would appear to be this super concerned girlfriend who is upset because he's not answering. I'll read you the last few texts that she sent to Brandon. They read, Great to know I'm worried sick about yous. My MS is fucking up because Mies, Mies is worried and I have no idea where yous is. Are yous in jail, in a hospital, gave up on Mies? We's have a concert tomorrow if you're going. WTF, this is frustrating. Are you trying to my nerves? About to call the cops to do a wellness check on yous. Now I'm getting pissed. I have no idea where yous are or if your current condition is life altering or even if you're dead. Great way to make me fucking worry. Sarah takes these screenshots to the detective and explains Cassandra's behavior and saying out loud, I'm going to jail without any context. The next day, Cassandra calls Sarah upset because the police want to talk to her. She says that she is scared and what do they already know? Sarah explains this is probably just an interview to see if you have anything that could help them figure out what happened to Brandon. Cassandra responds with a crying emoji and says, see, this makes me sad. Sarah's like, what makes you sad? That we may find out how Brandon died? Why would that make you sad? Cassandra says, well, maybe he took a bunch of sleeping pills and committed suicide. Cassandra tells Sarah, who is Brandon's mother, that she is going to lie and say she has a doctor's appointment so she doesn't have to go in for questioning. The detective calls Sarah and said Cassandra told him that she had food poisoning and wouldn't be coming in for questioning. Two weeks later, Cassandra calls Sarah through Facebook Messenger and Sarah clicks record. Cassandra said she had a dream about Brandon last night. She dreamt about the crime scene. She had specific details about that crime scene that only Sarah and the police knew, including which hand his phone was in. Also, she claims Brandon was naked in the dream. No one else knew that. Why would she claim she saw it in her dream and then call the victim's mother and tell her that? Pardon my language, but it almost seems like Cassandra is fucking with her at this point. 
According to Sarah, on December 4, 2019, Cassandra is interviewed by police. Once finished, she called Sarah and she's giddy. She's laughing uncontrollably. She says, I can't believe that's all it was. Is that it? She said the detective was a female and talked down about Brandon, making it seem like he was in the wrong. The detective that the family had been working with had gotten a promotion and a new detective was assigned to Brandon's case. The new detective tells Sarah that Brandon's case was low priority right now and there was some training they had to go through before they could continue the investigation. She basically implies, sorry, we got a lot going on, but we'll talk later. Sarah has kept a documented timeline of everything that has happened thus far. She writes in January 2020, quote, After realizing this case was not a priority with the police, I reached out to the media, thinking someone may know something or have seen something that would help. Reporters would in turn contact the police station for more information where they were told he died of pneumonia. I meet with the detective where she tells me not to go to the media because it will hurt this case when the case goes to trial. She is insinuating that they are investigating it as a homicide, pursuing justice. Meanwhile, they are telling the media it's pneumonia. She tells me social media is not good either. I tell her my concerns with Cassandra and that she possibly did something to hurt Brandon in February of 2019. I tell them again, a man was seen arguing with Brandon in front of his apartment the last day he was heard from. She tells me they found synthetic marijuana in Brandon's apartment and that it is an illegal substance in North Carolina. She says he took this and beat himself. She has went from meth to pneumonia, now to synthetic marijuana. I told her if any was found, it would have been for a girlfriend because Brandon wouldn't even take regular marijuana. After the meeting, I started talking to friends of Brandon, all of who stated he absolutely would not take synthetic marijuana because he knew it was very dangerous. Later, I received the evidence log and crime scene photos, all of which show there were no illegal substances in Brandon's apartment. There are no illegal substances on two separate hospital drug tests and no illegal substances on the 2000 panel tox screen ordered by the medical examiner. Narcan did not produce a response either. There is only a large amount of Benadryl, end quote. In February of 2020, the autopsy was amended to undetermined. That's basically a broad, we don't know. Sarah gets Brandon's phone, and I, which is an iPhone 10, back from police since his case is closed for now. She doesn't trust them to keep it. She reviews the last text that Brandon sent and said there was no, they, no way they were written by Brandon. The spelling and the grammar were poor, and that's not Brandon's style. The weird thing is that Brandon had facial recognition on his phone. I don't know if you can respond to messages from the message bar without having to gain access with your face, or if Brandon is unconscious and someone is there using his phone, they could hold the phone up to his face, although he was so bruised and beaten it likely wouldn't recognize him. Cassandra is slowly leaving the picture over the next few months. Her and Sarah's daily communication has slowed down. Sarah learns in the months before his passing, Brandon was admitted to the hospital multiple times for symptoms like feeling faint, respiratory distress, and severe stomach pain. And Sarah believes that Brandon was being poisoned. On May 2nd, 2020, this is eight months since Brandon passed, Sarah's daughter is sleeping and wakes up to a missed Facebook audio call. There is a message that reads, I killed your brother. There isn't anywhere that I can find that states which account this came from, but it was likely just a made-up account. 
Sarah reports this to police that they have a potential confession here and it was dismissed as unfounded. They also notify Cassandra that the family had filed a police report against her, which pisses Sarah off because you've potentially put her daughter in danger. Sarah asks if they could trace the IP address of where the message came from. She is told no because that would require a search warrant and they're not going to do that. When Sarah is given the report, it says it was phone call harassment, not admission of murder. Sarah doesn't feel she is going to get any more info out of Cassandra and feels it's time to stop all communication with her. They learn that Cassandra is not from Russia. She and her family are from Farmingdale, Maine. She doesn't have multiple sclerosis or OCD. She is not a nurse or ever went to school to become a nurse. They also could not get her to produce a single photo of the two of them together. They also learn that Cassandra is married and lives in South Carolina with her husband this whole time. Cassandra's husband is 20 years older than her. They live about two hours south of Asheboro where Brandon lives. Her husband said that they had been married for seven years and the marriage took a turn in 2019. He said Cassandra was always leaving and saying she was going to stay with friends for days. They had separate bedrooms. She had multiple cell phones. She's, he says that she lies and exaggerates all the time. He is being super helpful and helping Sarah any way he can with her grassroots investigation. He has since filed for divorce from Cassandra. Do I believe Cassandra killed Brandon? Brandon was much bigger and stronger. However, if he was drugged, it would make him extremely drowsy and put up less of a fight. Maybe then she could have caused his injuries, but again, the medical examiner said the injuries didn't contribute to his death. That, yeah, they were there, but she's saying that they didn't, they were not fatal. Many feel like Cassandra is guilty of something. Some will say maybe it was murder for hire, maybe it was the neighbor with black hair he had been arguing with days prior. Some will say Cassandra drugged him with Benadryl and then beat the shit out of him and destroyed his apartment. The bondage handcuffs found near Brandon are as what is triggering that thought for me. As of now, law enforcement has closed this case. Until they get additional evidence, authorities will not reopen the case. Sarah needs our help. She has a petition you can sign asking for Brandon's case to be reopened. I'll link it in my sources. Sarah continues to fight for justice for Brandon. It's been five years and the Facebook page entitled Brandon's Voice is still very active and there's so much info on it from Sarah. Rest in peace to Brandon Embry, a young man who deserves so much more. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.